You're listening to the Farm Report Podcast with Jake and Corey, brought to you by Indians Baseball Insider and broadcast on the Smoke Signals Podcast Network. We're talking tribe. Good afternoon and good evening. Wherever and whenever you happen to be tuning in, we are glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, Senior Contributor for Indians Baseball Insider, welcoming you to this week's edition of the Farm Report Podcast. And we're right in the midst of the All-Star break, and boy, I think both of us are still in recovery after that home run derby last night. Talk about some power and some impressive hitting displays, and not just Vlad Guerrero Jr. either. I mean, you know, of course, Pete Alonso, the the winner of the der- Derby, and uh, Ronald Acuna, and there's a lot of good young talent on this play. Jacques Peterson, too, the uh, perennial home run derby. Uh, he's been in the hunt, uh, it seems like, the last few home run derbies, but he put on a nice display going up against Vlad Guerrero Jr., matching him right up until the end there, but... uh we're not here to talk about that, of course, but uh, Corey, what did you? I know you were covering the Scrappers game, but what did you see of the uh, home run derby, and uh, what were your thoughts? Well, just because we had the Scrappers game to cover doesn't mean we didn't have it on in the broadcast booth. We certainly were paying attention and giving uh, the listeners some updates as to what was going on. But isn't it wild that one of the top two or three home run derbies ever takes place in Cleveland, and then the Futures game ends in a tie? which I, to my knowledge and my vague recollection, I don't think that's happened before either. So Cleveland and, already with All-Star Week, a couple of eventful uh, sites here, and now the All-Star game tonight as we record this. It's been a great weekend so far in Cleveland. How about Travis Hafner in the uh, Celebrity Softball game hitting the ball out of the ballpark? First time that's ever happened during the All-Star festivities. That's unbelievable, and if anybody were to do it, it probably would have been him. People were making the joke, and we got to give our, our credit to Carlos Santana for his efforts in the home run derby, losing to Pete Alonso by one in the first round. Um, somebody tweeted in and said that Santana would have done better if Josh Tomlin were pitching to him, but hey, that's, that's, a, that's a callback from the past. I enjoyed watching Carlos Santana. I enjoyed watching... Josh Bell, too, for those here in Northeast Ohio. There's still some Pirates fans around here. So that was really cool, that whole spectacle and the fact that it turned out as well as it did. Uh, the Cleveland Indians organization and Major League Baseball as well have to be thrilled about the results from the last few days here. Well, how about the youth that was on display? They're kind of bringing it back to the prospect spectrum. These are guys who are all rookies or just recently uh, moved up to the majors. Of course, Flag Guerrero Jr., Ronald Acuna, Pete Alonso, the winner, and uh, Josh Bell to an extent too. Um, all these guys are young players who are you know, just getting their feet wet in the majors and guys who are looking like they're going to be future stars, especially when it comes to Guerrero and Acuna and uh, – Possibly Pete Alonso too. He's on some kind of insane tear with the Mets this year. Pretty much the only positive thing that's going on with the Mets this year. But um, really, really good to see that happen in, for the game because uh, you know we've seen 
different classes of young players coming up, you know, the Mike Trouts, the Bryce Harpers, those guys. And the game's been in a good place for a while now, but I think with these, all these young players coming up and really um, making their presence known in the Home Run Derby this year, it really helps out the game and uh, helps endear themselves to the next generation of fans who are going to be able to look forward to watching guys like Guerrero Jr. and uh, Pete Alonso and Ronald Acuna for years to come. Well, shoot, I mean, Pete Alonso was in the Futures game last year, and now he's the home run derby champion and an all-star for the Mets. That's the the way that Major League Baseball is going now. You see some of these prospects that are getting called up in no time, and the youth movement has leaked so far so. Now in Cleveland, we've talked about it all year with guys like Shane Bieber last year and now this year with Plezak and seeing Bobby Bradley make his Major League debut and seeing Oscar Mercado do well. It's a movement now in Major League Baseball. So I believe it's the – someone mentioned it. Is it the youngest National League starting roster ever? Did I hear that correctly? I had did not hear that, but it wouldn't surprise me at all with some of these young players they have coming up, uh, such as uh, Pete Alonso and uh, Ronald Acuna. And I know Cody Bellinger still relatively young. And, yeah, there's a lot of young guys uh, in – in baseball right now, so it wouldn't surprise me if the National League has the youngest roster ever. I love me some Ronald Acuna Jr. That's my favorite non-Indian player might be him. I really enjoy watching him play. You know, if it wasn't for Vlad Guerrero last night, um, I, I would think the second most impressive performance was Ronald Acuna Jr. Just because of how he was flicking balls to the opposite field out of the park for home runs. He was using the whole field. It was really an impressive overall hitting display, even though he wasn't, you know, hitting the, peppering the scoreboard with home runs like Guerrero was, which is impressive. Don't get me wrong, but I just think that if you're looking at impressive overall performance, I would have pointed to Acuna as far as uh, what he did in the derby last night. You know what? I'll say this, and I'll leave it at that. Fans can't have it both ways. People are complaining, oh, it's cheating that players are using juice balls and cork bats and whatever it may be. But at the same time, people complain when there's not enough offense and not enough home runs and balls flying through the air. So last night we got to see what happens, whether the whether the balls were juiced or the, cork, the bats were corked or not. We got to see power, pure power, come out from guys like Vladdy Jr. and Jock Peterson. That that round in itself stole the entire show. And for kids watching at home, you might have a new favorite player in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Pete Alonso or Jock Peterson now. Exactly. That second round was insane. My, my fiance has never watched the home run derby before. Um, she's she's a she's a baseball fan and but has never really like watched it as religiously as I have and I introduced her to the home run derby last night it just so happened to be one of the most exciting ones ever and that second round we were both like speechless by the end of it we couldn't believe what we were watching and just and Jock Peterson going around we didn't know who to root for we wanted to root for Guerrero being the young superstar upcoming talent but then Jock Peterson putting in that that yeoman's effort uh, matching him home run for home run we didn't think he was going to be able to make it past the, the uh regular the the regular round let alone the two uh the two tiebreaker rounds and he did it and he just came up short and Boy, it looks like by the end there, his arms were about to fall off, but he was still hitting them out of the park, and it was very impressive. So, uh, other than that, yeah, it was 
very good night. And how, how about this weather this weekend? You couldn't ask for better weather for the, uh, the All-Star festivities in Cleveland. I was kind of concerned about that uh, with all the rain we've had and the hot weather we've been having lately. Overall, it's been very nice and very pleasant weather. Maybe a little bit on the hot side, but uh, it's still great baseball weather here. Without a question, the rain that happened last week kind of scared everyone. You know, it was like, well, this better quit before these All-Star festivities kick off, and thankfully it did. I was really happy to see that round between, just kind of wrap my thoughts up here with Guerrero and Jock Peterson, because it's the most exciting prospect in recent memory versus me personally. I'm a closet Dodgers fan. Those that know me know this, in addition to the Indians, and I like the Pirates because of location, but seeing Jock Peterson put a show on like that was awesome to see, but oh my gosh. We've been blessed with great weather. I'm sitting in the press box at Eastwood Field right now, and even with all the rain that we've had here, the grounds crew is still turning the sprinklers on out in the outfield. So the sun's dried everything up. The humidity, thankfully, has gone down. It should be a beautiful evening for baseball and the All-Star game tonight at Progressive Field. Looking forward to that. So, uh, But not to get too far off topic, let's dive right into these topics Uh as far as the Indians' prospects go. And uh, right along the same line of the uh, All-Star festivities, let's talk a little bit about the uh, MLB Futures game that took place uh, this week. And as you mentioned, Corey, they played the National League and American League in a new format. It used to be uh, uh, the United States versus the world. Um, now it's AL versus NL Future Stars. Um, they played to a 2-2 tie. And, of course, the two uh, representatives for the Indians in – the Futures game where Nolan Jones and Daniel Johnson, they both went uh, 0 for 1 in their lone at-bats. I think they both grounded out, if I'm not mistaken. And so, yeah, not a lot of action uh, for them. Not a lot of action overall in the Futures game for uh, either side. As I think, I don't think the first hit was recorded until the fourth inning. And so, uh, yeah, not a very eventful Futures game, but uh, still good to see guys like Nolan Jones and Daniel Johnson. Uh, both of them uh, should be future stars for the Indians. They, they, the Indians definitely have a lot invested in them as far as uh, their future with the Indians. And so the two of them get in the play at uh, Progressive Field, which hopefully should be both of their future home ballpark uh, So in the majors. And it was... Nice to see them get that experience, even if it was just a one at bat. And I'm sure it's a memory that they'll cherish for a while until they eventually do get that major league call up to Cleveland uh, to play for the Indians. It was a nice gesture from Jim Tomey to start the two Cleveland products in their home ballpark. Jones bat sixth and played third base. Johnson bat seventh and was the DH. So representation was well suited, of course. I thought it was really cool to see Daniel Johnson sleeveless, having a little bit of fun with the whole um, the, the cutoff jerseys with the optional sleeves. We saw the Reds do it a few days ago. Yeah, and we know that, and we know the Indians of the early 2000s had a similar style jersey. I thought it was cool that he did that. Um, they both did ground out, by the way. Jones tapped one back to the pitcher, and Johnson went and grounded a shortstop. Johnson was first pitch swinging; he was ready to go. And then Jones, I think he took a pitch, and then he uncharacteristically swung at one outside of the zone. So, um, yeah, the at-bats, whatever. It was cool to see two of the top prospects, and you mentioned it, 
sooner rather than later, both of these players are going to be affecting the Cleveland Indians. Jones got bumped up to Akron right after the Futures game, so once the Rubber Ducks kick off their second half, Nolan Jones will be manning the hot corner in Akron. And if Northeast Ohioans didn't get a chance to see him in Mahoning Valley or Lake County, this is the time. You have to go see Nolan Jones play in Akron. Um, He's absolutely wonderful. Almost 400 career games played, he's hitting just under 300. He really hasn't seen many challenges in the minor leagues quite yet. As for Daniel Johnson, you talked about the investment in him. How about just the swap for Jan Gomes? So the Indians weren't going to pay anyway and weren't really crazy about starting anyway. So they trade him, get a prospect that was injured last year, and they rebuild him up and retool him. And I'm expecting to see Daniel Johnson in Cleveland this year manning that outfield in some capacity. So I think the Indians were well represented by these two alone. And looking forward to next year's Futures game, there could be two or three names that I'm thinking off the top of my head. So the Indians farm system showcased very well, not just in this Futures game, but we'll, we'll expect to see this happen uh, for the, the next few seasons at these future Futures games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know you're thinking about Jones, maybe a George Valera, maybe a uh, Tyler Freeman. Uh, we could see them uh, all represented at some point. Maybe even an Ethan Hankins if he continues to pitch as well as he has. So uh, we'll definitely see how next year goes. And it's funny, we're already looking forward to next year, but that's just because we know how many uh, future stars the Indians have in their farm system right now who are on their way up. So it's uh, definitely exciting. And um, I wanted to talk a little bit, switching gears away from the All-Star festivities, uh, moving to the international signing period which just came to an end and the Indians have inked one top 30 uh, international prospect according to MLB.com and that is a shortstop Jose Pastrano who you know that these are the international players that not a lot of people know about and can only go by scouting reports as such same goes for us as well but uh, you know he's a middle, another middle infielder whom the Indians have really uh, stocked up on the last few years, both in the draft and in international markets. And you know, his, according to the MLB Pipeline scouting report, he has uh, quick feet, soft hands, solid defensive actions. Um, he has a strong arm and could really become a, an above average to plus defender. And he's a line drive hitter at the plate, has a good feel for the strike zone, and drives the ball well to the opposite field. So it looks like he's uh, pretty much a glove-first type of prospect, but he has the potential to develop an, uh, at least an above-average bat uh, with the, the tools he possesses. So uh, Pastrano, as the uh, top the international signing for the Indians this year, they uh, signed, I believe, uh, seven players in all, or... Uh, no, it, actually, it's, uh, I think, nine players in all. Let's see. one. It was nine. Yeah, nine play, nine players in all. Uh, they also signed uh, Luis Durango Jr., son of uh, uh, Luis Durango, and, you know, a few other players who, to uh, deals who are unreported at this time. Um, they also made a trade to the Rays for uh, inter- trading some of their international pool money in exchange for... Uh, I forget the infielder's name. Let me check, double check that really quick. Velasquez? Yeah, Velasquez. Velasquez. Yeah, Velasquez. Because um, they didn't spend all their uh, pool money. They signed 
uh, Pastrano to a uh, million and a half dollars, and uh, overall they only used about two million out of that uh, six, almost six and a half million bonus pool. So they had some to spare and uh, traded some of that away in exchange for a utility infield, a major league ready utility infielder who, you know, if Mike Freeman ever cools off or they decide to go a different direction, maybe he could be a guy that they can go with. But uh, other than that, going back to the uh, international market, uh, Pastrano is the highlight, and it seems like the Indians got another good one. I know, Corey, you did a story about the uh, Indians' success on the international market in recent years, and uh, Pastrano may be another another example of how well the Indians have done on the on that market and how they're really starting to build up talent. I'm glad you brought that up because it was, I think, six days ago when I wrote that. So we haven't recorded a podcast since that international signing day. Pastrano signed for $1.5 million, 16 years old, 55-grade arm, which for a 16-year-old, I mean, it's above average based on 2080, but that is pretty darn good for a 16-year-old. So he has time to strengthen his frame. He's listed 5'11", 145, so let him grow as a human being. The Indians had a lot of money to spend. Uh, on the international free agent market as well. And I believe the Indians had the most money to spend. I think it was like $6.5 million because they picked in the competitive B round. Um, I did write about this, and I encourage those that haven't seen this to check it out because we've talked in the draft podcast with Jeff Ellis about the Indians' lack of success drafting prep talent, and particularly pitchers. Now, I know Pastrano isn't a pitcher, but looking at the last prep player to really have success in Cleveland, I mean, you have to go back a little bit. But this is now the third season, based on MLB Pipeline's rankings, Jake, that the Indians signed a top 25 player. Two years ago, as I pull up the chart now, two years ago they signed George Valera and Aaron Brocco, who were ranked 22nd and 23rd. Last year, they signed Gabriel Rodriguez and Junior San Quentin. Rodriguez, ninth, San Quentin, 16th. Now Pastrano at 25. Now keep in mind, four of those five players are infielders, middle infielders. Brocco, Rodriguez, I think, could play third base. San Quentin and now Pastrano with Valera playing the outfield. So the Indians already had a strong crop of middle infielders. They just continued to add to it. So in any route, I decided to write about that last week please go check that out but looking at Pastrano at a glance if he can grow into his frame they like the fact that he has really unrefined right now I guess hitting mechanics but he's still consistent he has some stuff to fine-tune and some stuff to grind out and he'll do that in in the Indians Dominican camp but I mean he could be a really nice contact hitter one day he could be a speed threat on the base pass a nice uh, arm up the middle. I think he could stick it in shortstop with his arm. So I really like what the Indians are continuing to doing and building that young crop of middle infielders because now we're seeing guys like Ernie Clement and even to an extent Tyler Freeman. I know he's still very young, but Tyler Freeman inching closer to the double-A level. We got guys like Mark Mathias and Yu Chang at triple-A. Who's really down in the lower levels besides Brian Rocchio and Ray Delgado, maybe Jose Fermin? These four right now, looking at Rodriguez and San Quentin and Brocco and now Pastrano, they're really fortifying this organization with middle infield talent 
We know what's happening in Cleveland in a couple of years, or what could happen in Cleveland within the next couple of years. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the Indians are really making that effort to go hard on the international free agent market, and their aggressiveness has so far looked pretty good with some of the talents that we've seen. Yeah, we'll look forward to seeing Pastrano play probably next year. It's usually the year after they get signed that these guys start playing their uh, first uh, professional ball, and uh, we'll see if that will be in uh, the Dominican or if they send them right to the States in Arizona. Um, but, yeah, we'll be watching for that next year. But, uh, yeah, as you said and as you outlined in your piece, it's another example of how the Indians have really – dedicate a lot of focus and energy to the international signings and how successful they've been on that market. I mean, you look at some of the guys they've they've signed on the international market who have really had success in Cleveland. You know, I'm looking at guys like, of course, Jose Ramirez, Danny Salazar. Um, <clears throat> there are uh, – Roberto Perez, I think, is another guy. Um, they have really had success uh, on that front, and I would – really hope that they continue to do so and that these guys pan out. I mean, I'm excited to see a guy like Gabriel Rodriguez. I know a lot has been said about him. Same with San Quentin. We already have seen what George Valera can do, and now we get to look forward to seeing what Pastrano can do. So um, it's going to be a ne- fun couple of years to see these guys work their way into the affiliated ranks and uh, see what they're all about because it's going to be it's going to be fun times to watch these guys develop. But uh <clears throat> Talking about uh, the draft, though, and uh, some of the prep talent that the Indians have drafted in recent years, uh, last year's first-round pick, Bo Naylor, we haven't really talked about him much this year. We, we talked a lot about him at the start of the year and how he's going to Lake County and kind of surprisingly straight from uh, Arizona League, but he goes straight to uh, Mahoning Valley or uh, to Lake County and um, – didn't really play all that well to start the year. I mean, he had some some good moments, but uh, before June first in 38 games, he only batted 223 with a 306 on base and a 353 slugging percentage. He had a couple homers, six doubles, three triples, 20 RBIs, uh, 18 walks versus 42 strikeouts. He stole a couple bases. Um, but overall had a 659 OPS, so not great numbers before June 1st. After June 1st, though, things have started to turn around a bit for him at the plate. Uh, in those 25 games since then, he's batted 274 with a 324 on base and a 526 slugging percentage. Certainly better numbers overall, uh, adding up to an 850 OPS. He has five homers, five doubles, a couple triples, 16 RBIs, uh, seven walks versus 26 strikeouts, and he's also stolen another base then. Um, you know, he's a guy who possesses a lot of raw hitting talent, and we knew that coming in, um, after he was drafted, and it was just a matter of him acclimating himself to the Midwest League, because they really pushed him hard for, as a young player, to, uh, a, a really advanced level after he had just played in, uh, rookie ball in Arizona previously, and then, of course, in, was just in high school before that. So good, getting all the way up to Mahoning or to Lake County in such a short time certainly posed a challenge probably like he had never seen before. And right now it seems like he's starting to turn things around at the plate, and it's exciting to see because, uh, you know, beyond what uh, hitting talent he has, he plays a, a premium position for the Indians where they need 
to uh, bolster their depth a little bit. That catching position is not a very deep position in the system for the Tribe right now. And for uh, Naylor to start to figure things out and start to play better and solidify himself at the plate, I think is a great thing for the Indians and a good thing for his development moving forward as they really need him to start moving up so they can uh, bolster that catching depth that they need. Well, yeah, because they whiffed on catching depth in the last few drafts besides Naylor. You're looking at Logan Ice, who they drafted relatively highly. He had some injury issues and really hasn't been a factor throughout the organization. And, you know, aside from Eric Haas, we were kind of wondering who would be next in terms of, you know, the lower levels at least with catchers. And now Bo Naylor is settled, really settled in in the Midwest League in Lake County. You know, looking at his splits before and after June 1st, I think the key word is patience. He's not free-swinging anymore. Because you think about coming from the Arizona League, going up into affiliated ball, and particularly Lake County, where now he's playing essentially double and then some the, the amount of games. He started to really settle in and take more pitches. His walk numbers are relatively low, but if you look at his on-base numbers, they're still up. So it seems like he's making a conscious effort to wait for his pitch and try to drive the ball rather than just going up there and swinging at the first or second thing that he sees. His strikeout numbers are down too, but he scored one fewer run in 13 fewer games played. So he's finding ways to make contact. He's not overswinging right now. And he's kind of taken this mold of we've seen him hit anywhere from the two hole down to about the six or seven hole in Lake County's lineup. So he's kind of figuring out that, yeah, maybe he's not going to be a middle-of-the-or power threat. He's not going to be a 20-plus home run guy, or unless he is, and he develops that later on after he develops this contact stroke and this contact approach. But we've seen an impressive showing so far, at least through the last month and a few weeks here. So if he continues to take those strides to be more patient, we could see those numbers creep up a little bit more. I mean, he's hitting 274 post-June 1st, and – with a 324 on base, that has gone up 18 points since before that. So I'm looking forward to seeing Bo Naylor take strides in the batter's box. We know he can play an adequate catcher's position. We know he has a good arm. We know he fields and receives baseballs well. But it's a matter of that bat coming around. And quite frankly, that's been the story for him for the last year and a half was him trying to figure that out. Yeah, and uh, I'm impressed with the, how much the power has come around. I mean, you saw his uh, – you saw his – Power raw power numbers go up a lot since uh, before June first. I mean, he was only had a three fifty three slugging percentage prior to uh, June first. It's up to five twenty six now, which um, adds up to. Let me do a uh, quick math here. That adds up to a uh, two fifty two ISO, which is he's absolutely crushing the ball right now. Uh, anything over two hundred is he's just he's just mashing it right now, and it's. Great to see. Five homers, five doubles, two triples. He's got one more extra base hit in the past 25 games than he did in the first 38 games this year, which is also impressive. And I also like the fact that he can steal a base here and there. And I think that as he gets older and, you know, he gets more of that wear and tear of playing catcher every day, starts to take his toll. I don't know if he's going to be as much of a stolen base threat. But the fact that he's racking up triples and, and stolen bases right now is pretty impressive. And he might be a guy, if you're not watching, he might swipe a base on you, or he might take an extra base on you. I certainly like that aspect to his game as well. Uh, unless I'm missing count here, he's on, what, a 10-game hitting streak? 
Or does it go back a little bit further than that? It might go back further than that, actually. Yeah, he's got a hit in every game so far this month. And uh, if I go back a little further here. I think 12. It's, yeah, it's 12-game hitting streak right now. That's really impressive. And a lot of those have been multi-hit games. By my count, only five of them have been single hits. So we've seen him swing the bat very well. He had a 4-for-4 four four yesterday uh, against Lansing as well. Yeah, very nice to see. And I'm uh, looking forward to seeing Naylor can, uh, finish off the season strong. Hopefully he can do so and he can continue to play as well as he has because uh, – I think he's a guy the Indians have oh obviously they have a lot of invested in him, him being a first round pick but he should be the next guy that the Indians fans should be watching as far as top prospects go um and hopefully he can continue to blossom into that and become the next uh Nolan Jones or Tyler Freeman or George Valera whoever um you want to point to but as far as right now, though, he's definitely playing well, and it's it's great to see. Um, you know, we talked about our player of the week last week, uh, Yanir Diaz. Uh, we kind of talked to him kind of in a hurry because we were getting toward the end of the show, but I just wanted to point out once again just how unstoppable he's been uh, so far this year, and it's really quite remarkable of how well he's played, and it just begs the question, you know, what does he have to do to get promoted to the affiliated ranks? Because I don't think he has anything left to prove in Arizona at this point. Uh, you look at his season numbers, he's got uh, a four sixty nine batting average. He's got... he. He's got uh, 30 hits in his first 15 games, so he's averaging two hits a game. Um, he's got four homers, five doubles, 17 RBIs. He had a home run last night as we recorded this, drove in three. Uh, he's got two walks versus seven strikeouts, so not a big uh, walk guy, or, and, but he also doesn't strike out a lot. Kind of profiles similarly to uh, Oscar Gonzalez in my mind, but... Um, Boy, you talk about how just how good this guy is at the plate, hitting the ball. And then he, beyond that, he doesn't, uh, he's not too shabby behind the plate as well. I mean, I'm looking at his, I'm looking at his defensive numbers. I think he's got over 40%, um, it's caught stealing rate as far as his defensive numbers go, uh, both in his career and this season, uh, you know, so far this year, he's got uh, 43.7% caught stealing rate. And then this year, and then in his career, he's got a 42.4% caught stealing rate. Anything over, like, 35, I would say, or 34, I don't know, somewhere in there, that's a pretty good caught stealing rate for a catcher. And the fact that he's showing off a good arm behind the plate and good defense, and then also doing what he's doing at the plate, I think is really impressive. And, you know, we talked about the catching depth, needing, to be, needing a boost. Maybe uh, Naylor and Diaz can be the uh, answers to that for the Indians as far as being the next crop of uh, legitimate catching prospects and possibly being the future behind the plate for Cleveland. Well, I'll add another name to that list, and Brian Lavastida, who, if it weren't for his efforts, I think Diaz could be up here in Mahoning Valley already. Lavastida is hitting 315 games so far and has played a really good catcher's position, a converted shortstop too, nonetheless. But if it weren't for Lavastida doing so well, I think Yanir Diaz would already be here in Mahoning Valley. 469 in 15 games with four home runs, 17 RBIs down there in the Arizona League, 30 hits in 15 games. That's absurd right now what he's doing in the AZL. 
So, you know, we talked about that catching depth with Bo Naylor and how the Indians are looking for it, at least on a higher end. Diaz, an international signing, still at 20 years old. Lavastida, a 15th-round pick last year at 20 years old. Both starting to creep up in the prospect eyes and in the prospect ranks. And, look, if there's going to come a point where Diaz gets promoted to Mahoning Valley, that will be a really nice problem for Dennis Malavey to have here to catch either Lavastida or Diaz or try to DH one or, I don't know, Lavastida's played middle infield before, but there's two really good ones here right now. So um, it's a really nice problem the Indians have in their hands. I don't know what's keeping them from, you know, uh, keeping Diaz in the Arizona League right now, but there's got to come a point. I don't think he's going to hit 469 the whole year, but if he continues this over the course of the next couple of weeks, they got to at least consider calling him up to either Mahoning Valley or maybe promoting Lavastida to Lake County if he – continues to produce and let it be a chain reaction type thing regardless us here at Mahoney Valley we're not losing out but um certainly Yander Diaz has earned some consideration at the very least for that I'm looking at his game logs right now of all the uh games he's played so far he's only had one over in 15 games and that was over wow. five back on July 2nd um and how about this back on June 30th he, he went three for five he had 10 total bases in that game that's absurd. Ten total bases in one game for one player. Two home runs, three RBIs, a double. Yeah, that makes sense. Three hits. Those were his three hits. He scored all. He scored three runs. That's absurd to do that in a single game. It's unbelievable. He's just he's he's taking every Arizona League pitcher to task right now, and he's clearly well advanced beyond uh, the uh, pitchers who are playing down there right now. So um, I know our our. Our friend, um, our friend Joe, who writes for Burning River Baseball, down lives down in Arizona. He's been doing a lot of doing a lot of scouting and watching the games down there. And I was conversing with him a little bit on Twitter last night and about uh, Diaz. And yeah, he, we're both kind of in agreement. Like, what is he? Why is he still here? What does he need to? Do, what does he yeah. need to do to get called up? Because it's, it doesn't seem like he needs to do much more than what he's already done. So. Uh, How about that it. lineup in the Arizona League Red? That Arizona League Red lineup is loaded. Yeah, right now, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, a lot of these are names are guys people probably don't know at this point, but uh, Diaz is definitely part of a pretty loaded lineup down there. So, uh, looking forward to seeing if and when he does get promoted because I think he definitely deserves it, and it'll be fun to watch him in the affiliated ball. And if he goes to Mahoning Valley, I'm sure. Corey, you're going to be the first man on on scene there to keep an eye on what he's doing and how he how he does in uh, his first no taste doubt. of state, of uh, affiliated action. Um, last thing I wanted to talk about before we get to player of the week for this week um, is a guy who actually just recently went on the disabled list or the injured list um, in Lynchburg, but he is still a guy who has turned some heads in the prospect ranks this year as he was pretty under the radar as far as his uh, prospect prospect uh, profile goes. I mean, he was a 7th round pick in last year's draft, so he should get some you would think he would get some kind of uh, recognition and some kind of top prospect uh, consideration, but he hasn't really to this point, and that is until he 
has gone six and two with a three twenty eight eight ERA and thirteen appearances, twelve starts between Lake County and Lynchburg. Uh, he's pitched sixteen to third innings, allowed only fifty seven hits, twenty seven runs, twenty two earned runs, three homers, only thirteen walks in sixteen to third innings. So he's another uh, big control guy. But other than that, seven seventy one strikeouts in sixteen to third innings. I'm talking, of course, about Co- Cody Morris, who um, I know Justin. Uh, Justin Lotta, the uh, chief editor for the site, has talked a lot about recently. Um, he spent most of the season in Lake County and then recently got the promotion to Lynchburg and has pitched well, well at both locations. And I'll tell you what, Corey, we talked at length last week about all the college arms that have been the lifeblood of this organization uh, the last few years. Cody Boris uh, out of South Carolina, another college arm, working his way up to Lynchburg. I mean, he's got a lower back strain now. He's going to be out for a little bit, unfortunately. But other than that, though, when before he got hurt, he was another guy who looked like he was going to be uh, another intriguing college arm prospect. And, you know, maybe another name to add to the mix for the future uh, rotation considerations for Cleveland, along with the likes of, uh, of course, Eli Morgan and Aaron Savali and Adam Scott and all the names we mentioned over the last couple of weeks. So uh, Cody Morris, a, game, a name to keep an eye on moving forward. It's kind of wild to me that he didn't pitch at all last year, and I know coming out of college it's unlikely that he was going to do so, but – he went right from not pitching at all into full season ball. It, it injected into it right away. So the Indians organization must think somewhat highly of him to give him that kind of merit. And we've seen middle round arms looking at guys like an Eli Morgan who have had success throughout the Indians organization as college arms. Uh, I believe Morgan was a ninth rounder. Morris here a seventh rounder. So the year that he's put forward this season has been really impressive. Uh, in Lynchburg or in Lake County before getting called up to Lynchburg, 56 strikeouts to 10 walks. Add the season total from Lynchburg, 71 to 13. Really impressive strikeout numbers. He's he's missing bats. He's doing a nice job right now, and it looks like the Indians organization. We've talked in length about them finding this college talent. It's been really remarkable to see what they have done so far this year, and we've seen it in years past, rather I should say, where. These arms move rather quickly throughout the organization after getting drafted from college. Well, here's another one. Who knows where we'll see Morris by season's end. If he continues anything like this, could we see him reach as far as Akron later on this year? It's not crazy to think that, but at the same time, you know, we'll see if the organization slows it down just a little bit on him. And I'm excited to see what he can do with further development. Well, the back injury certainly doesn't help things as far as him moving up to Akron later this year. But uh, we'll see how that goes because the Indians definitely are taking more of an aggressive approach with him as far as moving him up. So, um, yeah, I don't don't think – depending on how long he's out, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. So, uh, yeah, Morris is another name to keep an eye on. Um, And with the Indians' success – as far as drafting college arms, I mean, we mentioned before the guys who are in the rotation right now. Uh, 
Shane Bieber, Zach Plezak, Aaron Savali was in there for a little bit. Adam Plutko is another college arm. You know, even though they didn't draft him, Trevor Bauer is a college arm, as w- as is uh, Mike Clevenger, Corey Kluber. Um, again, guys they weren't that weren't drafted, but are also college arms. Other than Carlos Carrasco, everybody in that rotation has been a college arm for the Indians, and uh, they've all done pretty well. I'm excited to see what they continue to do with these college talent. I mean, we talked with the international signing period and how they've really lacked drafting prep arms. Well, now we're seeing them hit even more on these college arms. And there's a couple down here in Mahoning Valley that we've seen so far this year that have had some pretty decent success. So if you take what the Indians organization has done over the last few seasons in a vacuum, and you can conservatively say Shane Bieber, Zach Plesak, are you going to see Cody Morris within the next, assuming he gets healthy, within the next three, four years or two, three years, whatever it may be, and there's a bunch of names I could continue to mention. I mean, the, the trend just continues for the Indians. It's been really remarkable what they've done on the college front within drafting. All right, well, I don't want to spend too much time on that because we already discussed it at length. And if you haven't listened to that, check out last week's episode. We really we really uh, delved into all the college talents that the Indians have had success with in recent years. So, uh, And Morris is just another name to add to that, so uh, keep that name in mind. Uh, so uh, what do you say we get to our player of the week uh, for this week, Corey? I'm down. All right, uh, just to recap really quick, last week uh, I had Jose Fermin, who didn't have a horrible week, uh, batted two sixty-seven with a six fifteen OPS. He had a couple doubles, a couple RBIs. Uh, not not great, but not horrible either. You had Tim Heron, who has been one of the late-inning relievers for Mahoning Valley this year. In his three games of work, he locked down two saves, uh, four and two-thirds innings, only two hits allowed, no walks, no runs allowed, two strikeouts. Uh, so he's continuing to uh, pitch very well for Mahoning Valley this year. And we were talking before we went on the air how you guys are already bracing yourselves in Mahoning Valley for uh, a promotion to uh, Lake County, most likely, for him later in the year. But uh, for now, he's continuing to lock down saves for uh, the scrappers, and uh, I got to give you the edge on that one. Uh, nice pick with uh, Tim Heron. I, and I said it last week, former high school quarterback. He's at home here in Northeast Ohio now, the mecca for high school football. In all seriousness, though, Tim Heron, six saves now, six opportunities. He's uh, Opponents are hitting 170 off him, eight strikeouts to two walks. He's had multiple two-inning saves. He's had multiple six-out saves, I should say. And already proving to be a formidable matchup in the back end of that bullpen. Listed 6'5", 225. He's a big dude. So we're looking at a guy who, yeah, we're bracing ourselves for that inevitable eventual call-up. And you know what? If he he does go to Lake County for some kind of a postseason run, obviously we don't know what's going to happen here in Mahoning Valley quite yet, but we know Lake County is in the postseason. He's going to be a great addition, I would say to that captain's bullpen. Sounds good. Yeah, look forward to that captain's postseason run. It's going to be fun there. They've had a great team all year, as we've said. Um, you know, They've had some guys uh, promoted like Will Benson and uh, Tyler Freeman, but uh, they still got a good team there. It'll be fun to watch moving forward, especially if Tim Heron joins the, joins the group. And uh, as far as our player of the week for this week, um, it's a guy who 
we haven't uh, really talked about at all. And, you know, when I say this name, people are probably all over our listenership are going to be saying who. And I'm mentioning his name, uh, Daniel Schneeman, who uh, those of you who may not know who he is, but uh, I'm not going to hold that against you because he was a 33rd round pick in the 2018 uh, draft out of uh, BYU. And uh, his scouting report, I was reading, uh, brushing myself up on Jeff Vellis' scouting report because I knew almost nothing about him myself. Um, he was a guy who uh, Jeff predicts to be a kind of a, a low ceiling but high floor guy. He can be a middle floor guy. He can be a u- solid utility infield option moving forward. He plays a few different positions. He can also play in the outfield if you need him. Um, but at BYU, he had some good numbers. Uh, tw- Freshman year, batted 318 with uh, a 728 OPS. Uh, sophomore year, uh, 317 with a 794 OPS. His numbers kind of took a dive from there, but um, you know he's really started to hit, hit the ball well in Lake County. And in his nine games this past week, um, he had nine hits, uh, three doubles, a triple, four RBIs, four walks versus two strikeouts and uh, a stolen base as he was batting 391 with an OPS over 1,100. So uh, really starting to pick things up at the plate. I mean, I'm looking – he doesn't have a lot of awards or anything to his name. He had a West Coast Conference Defensive Player of the Year Award in 2017 with BYU. But, um, you know, other than that, not a big accolade guy. But um, still, you know, these are the kind of guys you like to see do well and start to make a name for themselves. So um, – Congratulations to Daniel Schneeman for uh, earning this week's Player of the Week honor. What do they say? Opportunity knocks? You should answer. Tyler Freeman gets called up to Lynchburg. Daniel Schneeman slides in. You got Jose Fermin up the middle with you, who's a really solid defender. Someone that can easily be comboed with for a double play. And now you have Schneeman, at the plate at least, upping his batting average from 217 to 261 in his last 10 games. He's hitting 444 in those games. Really impressive stuff from him and a 33rd-round pick last year at BYU nonetheless. I've enjoyed seeing these prospects like a John Engelman or a Ruben Cardenas who really weren't thought too highly of just show out this year. They've really put together impressive years, and Schneebin's another example of – how the Indians are taking middle infield talent and just grooming them and turning them into successful baseball players. Now, Schneeman, I know, at a um, at a lighter sample size, but at the same time, some players just get those opportunities and they run with them. And now Schneeman hitting 261 in 30 games. He's looked much better at the plate, too. You can tell he's comfortable and he's settled in. So I'm excited to see how he continues to progress from here. Schneeman also got a little bit of playing time in a Cactus League action with the Indians. He logged three at-bats for the Indians in Cactus League play. Didn't log any hits or uh, walks or anything like that, but uh, still exciting for a young player like him, especially for somebody who, you know, 33rd round pick, not very highly thought of. Uh, Nice to see him get that experience as well. Without a doubt, anytime you can get that kind of experience, you know, look at the Arizona Fall League where Indians players over the past, I'd say, four or five years that have made it to Cleveland have participated in. So 
I'm really thrilled to see the fact that we have players in this Indians organization that are finding different ways to improve and using different leagues and feeding off different minds. Another example right here in Schneeman. All right, so uh, player of the week picks for next week, uh, Corey. Who you got? Well, I took I won last week, so you go ahead and go first to take the first pick this week. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to go with a guy who is really starting to pick things up at the plate and looking more and more like his old self again. Um, you know, he missed some time in May due to injury, but uh, now that he's back and, and into a rhythm, I think he's somebody who is once he starts to hit the ball well, he's going to start to take off here. And I'm talking about uh, Mitch Longo, who over his last 10 games is batting 342. He's got 13 hits, a home run, two RBIs, six walks versus seven strikeouts. So he's zeroing in on that uh, on that strike zone, uh, starting to take his pitches again, take his walks, and then also uh, making good contact when he swings the, ball, swings the bat. So uh, uh, very exciting to see him start to turn things around uh, in what has been otherwise a challenging year for him. He had the injury. He's had to face real challenges at double-A, which we kind of expected. You know, he's been a guy who hasn't really faced these kind of challenges before, these obstacles before, and, you know, facing the advanced competition that he is in double-A, I'm sure, has taken its toll somewhat. And But now that he's starting to hit the ball well, I'm hoping that we can start to see the old Mitch Longo again. That's a solid pick. I think you tried to, um, in a preseason before we kicked it off here, I think you wanted to christen Mitch Longo as a comeback player or most improved player, and he's taken strides to do that. So I like that foreshadowing from you. As for my player of the week pick, I mentioned him in passing earlier in this podcast, and that's Brian Lavastida, the catcher for the Mahoney Valley Scrappers, who... Again, we've talked about it with Bo Naylor and now with Yanier Diaz. Who's really going to fill in the catching depth in the lower levels? Well, let's not forget about Lavastida, who once again is a converted shortstop turned catcher, was really passed on in the draft because um, not a lot of teams thought he could transition because he wanted to catch. Well, since being drafted in the 15th round last year in his minor league career in 48 games, he's hit 294, and this year in Mahoney Valley, he's hitting 300 including 314 in his last 10. So Lavastida, now on a three-game hitting streak, has hit safely in four out of his last six, with three of those being multi-hit games. He's really done well as the scrapper's backstop. And when you have higher-profile talent like Ethan Hankins, and we've seen Matt Turner put out a few quality starts for him, you got to have a good receiver and a good backstop and someone that can call a good game. That's been Lavastida so far here in Mahoney Valley. Good pick, and he's somebody who, you know, nobody probably knows at this point. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm thinking back to, I'm thinking back to when Tony Wolters made that transition from middle infield to catching, and uh, mm-hmm. actually made it up to the majors with the Rockies in, in doing so, and. You know, Levastida doing it earlier on in his career and starting to establish his value behind the plate is definitely going to help his development moving forward. And him doing so well at the plate definitely helps his his cause as well. And, uh, you know, we talk about uh, Bo Naylor and uh, Yanir Diaz um, as far as the lower level next generation of catching prospects. But, yeah, Levastida should be included right in there with those guys. Ooh, Tony Walters, I'll tell you what, there are two names if you come into the Scrappers press box 
and mention Tony Walters or Joey Wendell, you will be a liked person up here. Yeah, and uh, Joey Wendell doing some great things in Tampa Bay, too. He actually, he absolutely is. In fact, uh, we were talking the other day because a Oakland A's scout was here. I won't say why, but he was here. And uh, we were talking about Joey Wendell and one of the uh, one of the scorekeepers and bookkeepers up here in Mahoney Valley. He doesn't have resentment for that scout, but he also was like, that's the a-hole that took Joey away from us. So I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, he ended up in Oakland for a little while there um, before ending now being in Tampa Bay and doing great things there. And very happy for him. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. No doubt, and he's, I think, wasn't he second in Rookie of the Year voting last year? Did I miss something here? (laughs) He's been awesome so far in Tampa Bay. Anyway, um, so Mitch Longo for me, Brian Levestita for you. Um, We'll see how these pan out, but in the meantime, congratulations to Daniel Schneeman, a guy who probably doesn't get a lot of recognition for what he does uh, day-to-day in the baseball grind, but we're here to provide a little bit of that recognition for him now. So uh, final thoughts, Corey. Uh, what do you got this week? Well, I want to say a big congratulations to the four All-Stars in Cleveland, Shane Bieber, Francisco Lindor, Brad Hand, Carlos Santana. But despite that amazing home run derby we saw last night, to me the image of the night was Carlos Carrasco in the crowd being recognized, fans going crazy for him, seeing him just in good spirits. And I thought it was cool how he had the jersey with all four names on the back. Um, I'm really pulling for Cookie here, as the rest of Northeast Ohio and the city of Cleveland and the Major League Baseball community is, because we talked about it a little bit last week in passing on the podcast and how there are great guys within the game of baseball, and Carlos Carrasco is one of them. So... I thought it was a really feel-good thing that we saw Carrasco in the stands yesterday and just continued prayers and thoughts and well wishes on a speedy and quick, hopefully, recovery and uh, cancer treatment process. Yeah, and uh, it's so sad that that news kind of broke um, when it was after, I think the day after our Smoke Signals podcast posted, so uh, uh, Justin and I hadn't had a chance to really talk about it, but in we do now wish uh, Carrasco all the best because, yeah, there is only a few really good guys in baseball, and Carrasco is one of them. His charitable endeavors, his involvement in the community, and really how he really he doesn't want the spotlight to be on him. He really wants to uh, be out there helping people and supporting his teammates. It was a cool gesture to see him doing so with that uh that custom jersey he was wearing in the crowd the other night um, for the Home Run Derby. And uh, I'm excited to see how Major League Baseball plans to recognize him during the All-Star game because they have already said announced that they're going to do so. I don't know if it's going to be by letting him throw the first pitch or if they're going to have a special uh, commemoration during the game or what's going to well, happen. I'll tell you what, having Carrasco throw the first pitch would be amazing. That would it, set everything off. It would, and he would get a huge ovation from the hometown crowd. So, um but yeah, we wish Carrasco all the best in his recovery, obviously, from all of us here at uh, Smoke Signals and the uh, Indians Baseball Insider site. Everybody here, we wish him all the best, as the the rest of uh, Cleveland Indians fan base, Northeast Ohio, and the Major League Baseball community. Uh, they've really stepped up and embraced him. I've seen player after player come out and send their well wishes to him. So uh, we definitely 
we definitely uh, share that sentiment. But uh, my final thought this week is uh, if you want something to do this week as far as minor league action, and you want to see um, potentially somebody who could help the Indians later this year, get to Akron on Thursday and, and watch uh, Danny Salazar pitch. Um, he's scheduled to uh, pitch that on Thursday when the Rubber Ducks uh, get back in action against Bowie at home. And after the All-Star break, and Salazar pitched well in Arizona, now he's moving up to Akron, and pretty soon we could be expecting to see him in Cleveland, it's, and uh, that'll be interesting to see, barring any setbacks, so hopefully uh, he's able to continue pitching well and doesn't have any setbacks and can eventually work his way back up to Cleveland, because I'll be honest, I didn't have high expectations for him working his way back up to Cleveland this year with all the injuries he's had, but here he is, he's on a good track right now. And uh, my final thought is kind of a dual final thought. I also want to send well wishes to uh, Nick Sandlin, who unfortunately is going to be out for the year with uh, a right forearm strain. And uh, between his injury and James Karinchak's injury, it's unfortunate because if both of them hadn't been hurt, uh, I I think you could make a case for one or both of them being in Cleveland right now in that bullpen. So uh, Sandlin out for the year, unfortunate, but uh, great to see Salazar on the comeback trail. A Cleveland bullpen that has surprisingly, statistically, been one of the best in the American League. It, yeah, it's nice to imagine what if Sandlin and what if Karinczak stayed healthy. But even for the future, let them take their time to recover and rehab. And we can see what they could do perhaps as early as next season. I'm not sure what return timetables look like for either. But I'm excited to see either get to Cleveland because I'm imagining a bullpen in the back end of Brad Hand of Adam Simber, of Nick Sandlin, and of James Karinczak. That is really darn good for the Indians. Absolutely. So, uh, well, I'll tell you what, Corey, it was a great show today. We covered a lot of ground. I I was excited to do this show today because there was so much to talk about, and I'm glad we were able to get to it all. Um, anything you want to plug, though, before we go? Well, I mentioned earlier about the uh, piece about Jose Pastrano and – uh, the Indians really just killing on, on the international free agent market. I'm going to start writing today about Ethan Hankins, and some may know this, some may not. I'm doing some radio duties for the Scrappers this year, and one of those is producing the pre- and post-game show. So every day before at least home games, and I pre-produce some for the road, um, we interview a player, or we interview Dennis Malavey or a coach or whoever it is, and I spoke to Ethan Hankins yesterday. And got some really intriguing stuff on what he's working on, what his expectations are for the year, what he's looking forward to, whether he's paying attention to the prospect rankers or not. It was a really good conversation, I thought. And it wasn't intended to be for anything for a piece, but I got some really good information from him. So I'm definitely going to do a write-up about that and a story on Ethan Hankins. Should be dropping within the next couple of days here on the site. Sounds good. Um, As far as I'm concerned... uh... I'll have four thoughts later this week. I'm going to have some thoughts on uh, Yanir Diaz and uh, probably Cody Morris as well, along with some other thoughts, maybe Bo Naylor um, too. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, I'm also going to be doing uh, our Diamonds in the Rough column from this for this week. Uh, we had our first one of the year, Ruben Cardenas, Justin posted over the weekend. Check that out. Um, I think I'm going to be going through and looking – I'm looking through the list and see who I'm going to do. I think I might do Jared Robinson for this week because he's somebody who I think has flown under the radar 
a lot this year, and uh, he might be the late bloomer type who could work his way into the bullpen mix potentially later on this season. And so, yeah, Jared Robinson might be my uh, pick for Diamonds in the Rough for this week. So keep an eye out for that this weekend. Get an in-depth look at those guys and guys who are under the radar, not in the top prospect spotlight, but uh, should still get uh, a little bit of a look, a little bit of a look as far as their uh, intriguing prospect potential goes. Robinson, one of those examples we saw, we talked about Zach Draper a couple weeks ago, starter turned reliever and has had really good success in doing so. I think Robinson has closed a few games out this year. Yeah. Yeah, he has. And, uh, I'm excited to see how uh, his season finishes out. He works his way up into Columbus and potentially into the conversation in Cleveland because uh, he that would definitely be uh, a case of hard work paying off because there's nobody who has worked harder to get to this point than Robinson's. He's had a lot of obstacles to overcome along the way. And I'm excited to see if he can get to that next level and make that transition complete because – we talked about guys like Sandlin, Sandlin and Karinchak and when they could get to Cleveland. Those are bona fide relievers drafted and developed as relievers, but this is a story I might want to look up. When's the last Indians pitcher we've seen make that transition really successfully from starter to reliever? Yeah, you know, I mean, the most recent example I can point to is uh, Carlos Carrasco, but that was kind of a that, that was a double transition because he was just in the bullpen to get his. Uh, to get his pitching legs back under him again and figure out figure things out, and he was back in the rotation. Obviously, became an All Star Cy Young, Young level pitcher again. So that's the only example I can point to. It's an interesting thing to think about. Again, Robinson, Draper, we've seen a couple of those examples. So I'm excited to see if the Indians uh, can find ways to get them into the big leagues and you know kind of retool their makeup and transition them into having a routine of a reliever rather than a starter full-time. All right, so keep an eye out for that this weekend and the Four Thoughts column as well as the Smoke Signals podcast. Uh, Justin and I are looking forward to this week. We're going to be previewing that twin series. It's going to be a big one coming out of the break here, especially with the Indians now five and a half games back in a division race. And uh, it's going to be fun times at Progressive Field. you got that that heated playoff matchup. Uh, Divisional match, keep the divisional matchup. You got Rock and Blast. It's going to be fun times at Progressive Field coming right out of the All Star break. Absolutely, big Twin Series too. I'm excited for that. All right. So uh, other than that, be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jake D Baseball. Corey's at CD Christen. You can uh, follow the podcast account at uh, Smoke Signals IBI. Follow the site account at Official Underscore IBI. Uh, get all the links, all the breaking news, uh, podcast links, show notes, everything there. Um, tweet at us with any kind of questions or just want to talk prospects we're all more than willing to uh, chat with you on the social media but uh, until next time though uh, for Corey Christen and the Farm Report Podcast I'm Jake Duncan and we say to you have a good one for questions and comments you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com also be sure to follow us on twitter at smokesignalsibi where you can find links to all our shows as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening.